And so in this way, other than the name of your podcast, what we're about to talk about could be on a parenting podcast. It could be on a business podcast. It could be on on any any conversation that you need to have that may have some prickles or you want to make sure that your message is heard. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy. Welcome to episode two of Focus Fridays. We're Finn and Emma. And if you're new to our show and tuning into just this episode, this is not our normal format. Typically, we interview people and have them tell their stories in non-monogamy. Those are usually released on Mondays or Wednesdays. So go check those out. This is a topic-based show, and we're doing 10 of these in a row. So this is number two, and it is on intentional conversations. And if you're looking for the other eight of these, or nine of these, I, I suppose. Like, I was like, if there's 10 total, and this is one. <laughs> uh, you can, you'll find them every Friday moving forward, or if you want to go and download all 10 of them at once, you can find links on our website, Normalizing Non-Monogamy. Go under the Courses tab, or in the podcast uh, show notes at the bottom of your podcast player, there will be links to take you directly there where you can download them all at once for free if you would like, or you're welcome to leave a donation, whatever makes you feel good. Yeah. All right. Enough of that. What do we got today? Who are we talking to? So today our guest is Catherine. She's a counselor and relationship coach for over 15 years, and she has her own business called Expansive Connections. Links to that will be in the show notes. She's also on episode 57 of our show with her husband, Ray. Yeah, she is an awesome resource for all of this, and we're super excited about it. A couple of quick announcements about some stuff that gets covered in the episode. Uh, She references someone named Mr. Jones at the start. That is Mr. Jones from the We Got a Thing podcast. You can check them out. There will be links in the show notes, as with everything. And there's also a couple of cheat sheets that you will find available on the show notes as well. One of them is a feelings cheat sheet, and the other one is a reference of counselor versus client roles, which you'll hear all about when we dive in here in just a minute. So go to the show notes on our webpage for this episode to download all of those documents and resources. And now let's go talk to Catherine. Welcome back, Catherine. We're here without Ray, right? Did we pick Correct. Ray? Yeah. Okay. No, I couldn't remember what fake today. name we. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but we're super excited to have you uh, talking with us about intentional conversations. And this isn't going to be a whole lot of us talking. It's going to be a lot of you talking. So, I uh, will. We'll kind of let you get into it. But maybe can you start by just maybe giving some background of like who you are and what your qualifications are, uh, just for anybody who who didn't listen to you before. Sure. Um, thanks for having me again. And um, yes, so as, if you say that I'm going to be talking, then you would be reflectively listening. So, um, exactly. so definitely let me know what you're hearing and make sure that you you heard what I was saying. <laughs> we'll get into that later. We um, will. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so my name is Catherine and I have been a, um, a counselor for 
about 15 years now, um, licensed in my state and worked the general type of counseling jobs. I I did some work at a university where I got to do um, employee assistance program counseling, which means I got to see a little bit of everything from four-year-old family members to retired deans, janitorial staff to department heads, all the whole spectrum, which was wonderful. I love that diversity. But then when my husband and I got into um, non-monogamy, I reached out to Mr. Jones and um, told him, just, it was just a personal like driveway moment. Thank you for your episode about jealousy. It was just so wonderful. I'm struggling with this and thank you so much. And I wish my clients would be more vulnerable like you guys are. And then he wrote back and said, whoa, 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 clients, counselor, lifestyle. Hey, will you come on our podcast? And I was like, oh no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't combine these two lives. Right. So he was patient and persistent for about 18 months. And I finally got the nerve to, uh, to go on their podcast about two years ago. And that launched this side business of relationship coaching. It is not under the scope of my license. Of course, I have to bring all that experience to the table, but because I'm using online, um, the online medium and I'm outside of my state, it is not considered counseling. It's considered coaching. Got to be careful with legal words and such. But yeah, so my business launched about two years ago and it's just been so, it's been such an honor, honestly, to have people reach out to me with this, with such specificity, right? Like what we're doing is pretty specific. And where I was this generalist, now I'm working in this niche where the couples that come to me have found me through your podcast or the Joneses. And I love how they're already doing the work between the ears. They've already had hard conversations. Their relationship, even if it might be in a tough spot, it has a level of openness and authenticity and vulnerability that I didn't, did not see on the vanilla side of my practice. They've already done a lot of work. Right. So it really does feel like I'm coaching, right? Where they already know how to run. They just want to run their race better. What an amazing opportunity. They, I'm so thankful to and honored that they share their stories with me and want me to help them along their way. I've also done some workshops here and there. I'm also a fitness and yoga instructor, so I do like to teach. And so, you know, that's how we we came up with this idea was to have this be a little more of what in our field, we call it psychoeducational, not because you're psycho, um, (laughs) psychological education. Um, And I do end up doing this a lot in my coaching is teaching people skills, teaching people frameworks, different ways to understand their brain, different ways to understand their behavior, ways to quiet what's going on in their own brain, to be able to be receptive and open to what their partner is, is actually saying instead of the movie that's going on in their own head. And so this, this topic that we're discussing today, the intentional conversations and reflective listening, I feel like it's just, it's kind of the 101. If, if you can get this right, you can talk about just about anything. It's like a really good Excel spreadsheet formula where if you get one parentheses wrong, it's screwed the whole thing up, right? right? But if you can do the work to understand, to make that program that I'm probably like totally showing my age here. I guess people would talk about this in like uh, data software. What do you call that? Code writing. <laughs> For me, it's Excel spreadsheets, right? Okay, like, there's nothing wrong little... with Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Um, you know, it's like one little glitch and then the whole thing just gives you that error message, right? But if you can get the, the formula right, you can shove any data through that. And so I want you to think about this tool that we're going to talk about today as that. And a lot of couples only want to dig in and talk about their, their, 
content or their current issue, the current rub, and they want to get really into the detail. And sometimes they get irritated with me because I'm like, I'm not getting down in the weeds with you about that. We're going to come up here to the top row of the bleachers and we've got to learn how to, for you to, for you guys to learn how to talk to each other about this. Not about what it is. That really doesn't matter as much. How you're talking to each other is what's doing the damage to the relationship or where you're feeling so frustrated. So if we can learn the skill to how to talk to each other better, how to listen better, how to feel heard and understood by your partner, how to make sure your partner feels heard and understood, then bring it. What what hard thing you want to talk about? We can handle it. Right. Right. So that's exciting for me to be able to hand these tools to people. And that's, um, I'm excited that you wanted to have me on to, to share this information. Yeah, yeah, well, we're well, super excited to have you here. And thank you for that amazing introduction. I think you really stepped through and told people exactly what's uh, going on. So yeah, thank and, you. And just real quick to clarify, like what when we're talking critical conversations, this is this can be anything, right? And like you said, this oh, yeah. is the framework around how to say what you want said and how to how to let your partner know that you're hearing what they're saying. Yes. Okay. You nailed it. Absolutely. Yes. And 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 so in this way other than the name of your podcast, what we're about to talk about could be on a parenting podcast. It could be on a business podcast. It could be on on any, any conversation that you need to have that may have some prickles or you want to make sure that your message is heard. It's actually one of the ironies of my work is that people find me because of this specificity and this niche of non-monogamy. But I would say probably 80% of the content that we, that we go through has nothing to do with non-monogamy. Yeah. It's just that they need to be, that's kind of what brings them in the door. And we work to be able to give them the, t- the school, the skills and tools to talk about that stuff, which can certainly be plenty prickly, but then we end up bringing up all these other things. So yes, this, this tool I'm about to give is not something that you have to keep just to the bedroom or just to non-monogamy conversations. Use this when you're discussing who paid the dog sitter, if that's a contentious thing for you guys, whatever. <laughs> right. right. Well, <laughs> Let's jump into it then. Like what, how do we, how do we start? What's, what's step one? Well, first I think it's important to realize what constitutes an intentional conversation. You know, with our partners, we're conversating all the time. We're communicating all the time, even if we aren't using words, right? Yes. But when it's something that feels, you said critical, that's a word to use. Um, Intentional, um, difficult is another word. Prickly is one of my words, maybe a conversation that hasn't gone so well in the past, or because of your unique understanding of your partner, you have a feeling that this could be a sensitive subject, or if you're feeling especially sensitive and you're finding that it's difficult to not, if you're noticing within yourself that it's hard for you to talk about this subject without getting triggered. All of those should now give you the like little flag in your head. Oh, okay. I think I need to get my, my paperwork out here, which again, I'll share with you all so people can use these how to do these conversations in a way that slows everything down. So first and foremost is to notice when it needs to be an intentional conversation rather than just let's chat about this real quick in the car or drop this bomb right before you go to work. That doesn't work well. Yeah, that's not a good idea. (laughs) No. mm -mm. And the conversation will not go very well. And it's really not very fair to your partner to do that either or yourself because then you leave all icky in limbo. So I think that once you realize that you need an intentional conversation, you say so. And you give the reason why I'm feeling really triggered about this. I don't want to slow it down and try to do it in a way that doesn't do our same old cycle that we know so well, where we do the same old fight, same old style. And then both needs to agree to a time and a place. Timing is super key. As I said, not as you're walking out the door, not when it's two in the morning and you've had one too many gin. 
drinks. Like not a good time. I will say that this sometimes is the hardest step. Often the first one is right. Yeah. Cause imagine if your partner comes to you and says, I need to talk to you about something kind of icky and hard. We immediately get that feeling like we've been called to the principal's office. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and especially then if they go, but not right now, let's schedule a time in three days when we have a whole bunch of, and you're like, well, well now I'm well, going to be thinking it about right it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And keep in mind, like the part of your brain that is hypervigilant to rejection and hypervigilant to getting voted off the Island or uh, being rejected by your tribe, that part of your brain is like, no, 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 we must not wait. We must do it right now because that part mm-hmm. of the brain is going to be freaking out until there's a solution or um, a conclusion drawn. It's okay. You are adults living in 2019, not cavemen worrying about the lions on the Savannah. You can sit with that discomfort and sitting with that discomfort, increasing your tolerance for that for that discomfort will serve you so well. Because if you're like, no, we got to talk about this right now, then you're bringing a lizard brain to a very difficult conversation. And likely that's why you've had trouble having conversations about this in the past because you're bringing your lizard brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one thing I would maybe offer though, is something to try to avoid doing in that waiting period is uh, oftentimes we tell ourselves stories yes. and we create, we create problems. Start guessing. Yeah. And you start, you start having a fight in your head mm-hmm. with that person mm-hmm. before you've even arrived at the conversation. So I've true. never done this, yeah, but I've, like, I've heard about <laughs> it happening. Asking for a friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. So that's the part of your brain. It's called the hippocampus that wants to put things in convenient files or patterns. And the way that I personify, I use a lot of personification and metaphor and story and in my work. And so the way I personify the hippocampus is like not the office, the TV show, but the office, the movie with, I think it was Jennifer Aniston. Right? Yeah. Do you remember the, the, the guy with the stapler? They're like super yes. OCD anal guy with the stapler. He's like the hippocampus where he's like, no, no, nothing can, can be left on my desk. And it's like, he wants to be able to file everything and have a place for everything. And so, yes, in the, that, if you have to wait three days in that time, your hippocampus or the office guy with the stapler is going to be freaking out, trying to create a story that it can like understand. And he is going to be bugging you. Ah, you got to get this stuff off my desk, put it in a file. And you just have to be like, sorry, dude, I know you hate it. And then get away from him. (laughs) Just just, like, he's he's, going to be uncomfortable. So prepare yourself. Or like distract yourself with something else, like work on, put that energy into focusing on something else that needs to be done. Yes. And and also, Going back to something we talk about a lot is assuming good intent from your partner yes. is is key, right? They're they're not doing this maliciously. They're doing this for the opposite reason because they know this is going to be the best way to have this conversation, mm-hmm. and it's not a it's not a negative thing. Yes, I often use the term like in service to the relationship. Yeah. yeah. So my husband really hates it when I like he always wants to like he usually wants to solve things really quickly, and I've finally started using those words where I'll say. I would love to get all like pissed off and like nasty and fight this out with you right now. I really want to do that. But in service to our relationship, I'm not going to, which, you know, it says it that way. Like I'm doing this because I love us Mm -hmm. and I know this is a better, better for us. The other thing I'll mention is yes, benefit of the doubt. If you know that that hippocampus dude with the stapler is trying to create story, then go ahead and let him, but let him create positive stories. Yeah. 
or create enough stories that it gives reasonable doubt where you can't decide on one. And But if you're going to have a story, then continue to have a positive one instead of creating this negative thing. How could they leave me in this time to wonder and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Right. Great, great point. Okay. So um, the other thing, after you decide when it's going to be, then you have to set your roles. So one of the partners is going to be the quote client and the other one is going to be the quote counselor. So I'm going to use these words. You can find different words that they fit better for you, but duh, I'm a counselor. So I use those, right? But you've got to take turns. And so keep in mind, like if I'm, when I'm in my coaching and counseling role and my cat, my very sweet clients say, Catherine, how are you? If I'm having a really shit day, I might say I'm having a rough day, but it'll be fine. And I quickly turn the focus to them because that's our relationship. Right. They're not there to take care of my feelings right. and take care of my ego and help me explore what was going on with my friendship and why I got triggered. No. Right. It was nice of them to ask, but you, that's not, yeah. it's not the purpose. Exactly. And I think where we most of the time go wrong here is because we are equals in a relationship, we both feel equally justified to be the client. Yeah. And so in this space and time of intentional conversation, you got to decide your roles and you have to stick to them. And so, for instance, if I'm having a rough day and I'm the counselor and I'm sitting here, I'm holding the space and helping you with it. And maybe it even brings up something for me. It triggers something that's going on in my life. Then I go see my counselor and then I get to be the client for that whole time. I get to be the client and he holds the space for me. And so in that way, with partners, it's harder because it isn't as um, the power differential or the transactional relationship isn't as clear because it's not. It's an equal relationship. But during these conversations, you've got to switch it. You've got to have a differentiation of who is what role. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's super tough, too. Well, and I think sometimes what happens if you don't, or not even sometimes, probably a lot of the time, is you start trying to one-up each other, right? If, oh, yeah, if yeah. you're telling me something that hurt me, or that hurt you. And then I'm like, well, well, you did this that hurt me. And then you're like, well, you did this that hurt me more. And then you just start trying to, you, and you never actually solve any problems. You just tell each other all of the problems that. Well, and just, mm-hmm. you end up in argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you've lost, and that those, that's when the conversation devolves where you're like, oh shit, what were we talking about again? Yeah. <laughs> she got so distracted on all these different things. And, and yes, so it's like this defense when we feel the need to be defensive, it's like we hold this shield up, but then we take our sword out and like stab them. Like, but you do this and then you hold the shield up. Yeah. Well, you do this. And uh, yeah, that's yeah. not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult because of course your partner is a person that has, knows your buttons, has your trigger points, can do that so quickly, even without meaning to. So it's very difficult. Okay. So let's start the, the client's job is actually, I won't say it's easier because they're having to be vulnerable. They're having to share things, but I don't have as quite as many tips and tools for the client because honestly, when we're in the client role and somebody is willing to give us that space to help us feel heard and seen and understood and loved anyway, it feels great. <laughs> that's why, that's why my profession is, is booming is that people love it when I'm just holding their space and they are the, they're the star for 90 minutes. Yeah. So really listening. when you're the client, yeah. If, if the, if your partner being the counselor can, can give this to you, your job is pretty easy. You've just got to try really hard to stay vulnerable. So, but there are a couple of tips I'll give you. So if you're the client, here's your job. You want to explain what's bothering you very slowly don't rush. You want to do it as calmly as possible, which is again, why sometimes you need to wait three days. So you're not all 
wrapped up and pissed off. And then here's the really hard one. Ready? You got to do it without blaming, shaming, or using inflammatory language. So what does that look like? <laughs> oh, because you've never heard it or done it. Is that what you exactly. mean? <laughs> your halo is shining right? so bright yeah. over here. I wish they could see. I wish we were on video so they could see your halo. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So typically we would describe it something like, well, and then you did blah, 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 blah. And you shouldn't have because it was really rude. So the blaming would be you did. The shaming would be you're bad for doing it. The other thing we could add in there is like assigning meaning. You did that thing just to hurt me. Yeah. You don't know that. You're you're interpreting. Right. There. That's an interpretation. And then, of course, inflammatory language. So, for instance, I have some clients yesterday that, that were working around making, a, how did they put it? Saying that she was like her mother was in a no, was a no fly zone. <laughs> so that. Like you can tell me all these characteristics that might be like my mother, but the M word not allowed. <laughs> so that's inflammatory language in their relationship. Yeah, right? and so like when you're that client, it's helpful to try mm-hmm. to use I words and like from your point of view, not the blaming and shaming of like you did this, you did that. It's I yes. feel this and you know, this happened and this is how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Another word I, that's, it's great. The, the I language, the other word, I, another word I would use is owning, yeah. like owning it. So I own that I'm easily triggered about this. Yeah. Not you always push my buttons. No, I am easily triggered about this. Um, so in this way, you're trying to just report. So if you think about um, like in journalism, the difference when you're reading a piece that is reporting versus an op-ed or editorial where the op-ed or editorial is bringing in a lot of opinion, a lot of conjunct, like, you know, conjecture, interpretation, some assumptions, some stories, but it's, but they're owning it. It's from their point of view versus a reporter that is only reporting the facts. So client in this role, the client partner, if you can try to report the facts like a journalist a reporting journalist instead of an editorial editorial journalist that can be helpful. The other thing I'll mention that I'm terrible at, I know this will be shocking already to your listeners, is economy of words. <laughs> Don't talk so much. <laughs> <laughs> because the longer you talk, the harder it is to not blame, shame, or use inflammatory language. Yes, and that's why it's important to talk slowly too, so that you're thinking about yes. what you're saying as you're saying it. Yes. Yes. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Okay. Um, the other, the other job of the, the client partner is that you're going to try really hard to stay in your most adult, the most adult version of yourself. So I use two different models. I use this, this, I think I've shared with you on the other podcast, the adult chair framework. And then I also talk about like the top of your t- upstairs part of your brain versus the downstairs part of your brain. So the upstairs part of your brain would be that prefrontal cortex, the adult chair where we can give people the benefit of the doubt, where we can live in fact and truth and not conjecture, where we are much more logical and reasonable. We can also understand abstraction and juxtaposition or paradox. The client really, client partner really needs to try to stay there, unless, especially in the reporting. If they're going to dip down into the downstairs part of the brain or to another chair, they want to go more to the child chair or the like really deep kind of like lizard brain part of the, of the brain that's like, that would be more where the sad or scared feelings would be. The middle of the brain, the amygdala or the, what we call the adolescent chair is that part tends to be very protective slash defensive. And that's where a lot of the anger and frustration and attacking mode 
comes. Like that's kind of the adolescent or amygdala's language is anger, frustration, and attacking. The adult is logical and understanding. And the child's more like, it just really scared me when you were kissing her. And I thought maybe you like kissing her better than me. It's like, it's hard to be mean to your your, your partner when they're showing you their vulnerability and their scared parts and their sad parts. Yeah. Yeah. Showing that underbelly. Yeah. And so are things like, so just to kind of recap on some of those, so we, we don't want to accuse people. And sometimes it's probably easy to disguise that as like, I felt like when you did this, you did it because of this, like just adding, I felt at the beginning doesn't necessarily mean it's not accusatory is correct. Correct. I mean, you can soften it that way by saying, I get that this is a story I was telling myself, or I own that it's really easy for me to see it through this lens. So certainly we can kind of preamble and soften it that way, but sure. I mean, don't think that just putting like a a heart in front and an exclamation point at the end of a sentence makes it all rosy and sunshine. (laughs) You still got to notice what you're saying in the middle. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, but we are able to, I mean, because a lot of these conversations are about maybe something that that person did that hurt you or that scared Mm -hmm. you or maybe crossed a boundary. And so Mm -hmm. how do, how do we bring those up without accusing people? Well, again, I think that it would be like you state the facts of what happened. So when you kissed her, for me, it felt like you kissed her for a long time. My interpretation was that it was a long time. I can also realize that because I was already sensitive, my sense of time might have stretched out. It might've been 30 seconds, but it felt like 30 minutes to me. So again, you state the fact of what happened. Yes, you kissed her. Here's what happened to me. Here's the interpretation and the meaning I put around it. Okay. And so it's not like saying you kissed her for 30 minutes and that was too long. You've never kissed me for that long. You hear how different that is. Yeah. 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 Yep. Perfect. Okay. Very helpful. Right. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> again, asking for a friend. Yeah. For, yeah, for, yeah. A, friend I, for a friend I married. Uh, all right? of this. <laughs> for a friend. Thanks. I'm married. Thanks. Well, I, all I, right. I feel like I married her. To me, it feels like we're married. <laughs> All right. So now let's shift over to if you in the in this intentional conversation, if your role is to be the counselor partner, you have more jobs. You have the harder job in a lot of ways because you are going to be fighting the typical tendency of the argument. You are going to be the one that's working to keep you out of that same old cycle. You are going to be working to keep your defenses down. You are going to be working to not take the, what might seem like bids for trigger. It's hard. It's a hard job. Being a counselor in my job is way easier because these are not my emotional people, right? So they don't trigger me. Being a real counselor is a way easier job than being the counselor partner. (laughs) So know that about yourself. And that's why I say that it's really important that both people agree to the timing. So, you know, let's say that Emma's like, I really need to talk to you about something. I'm struggling with something. Well, then if you just started a new job and you haven't slept well and you just had a big fight with your brother you are not going to be at your best to be able to do a very hard job, which will be to be the counselor in this conversation. So you need to say like, I'm planning to leave work early on Thursday so that I can take a really good long nap. And then when I wake up, I'll probably be really rested. And that's when I think I would be at my best. Make sure you have food that you're not too tired. You're not too drunk. You're, you're not feeling overly sensitive from something going on in your life. You want to show up as, as a game as you possibly can. Cause it's a hard job. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because number one on this list is that you've got to stay in the adult chair. You've got to stay in the top part of your brain. Because otherwise, if you get into the downstairs brain or your child or adolescent chair, then it's going to become about you. Yeah. And you're going to try to vie for the counsel- for the client role. That's not going to go well. Now, here's an important part. I say you must stay in the adult chair. But if you don't, if you can't, if you're realizing that, yep, damn it, I took the, tr- I took the bid, took the bait, I'm totally triggered. You start to feel that adolescent defensiveness, snarkiness, blaming. You want to blame and shame your client partner. It's okay. You can say, I tried. My lid flipped. Ah, I, I can't stay. I can't hold this space of safety for you. I'm just not in a good place. And it's, you're not bad or wrong. I'm not able to keep my shit together right now. And maybe take a pause. Mm-hmm. A pause could be 20 seconds, 20 minutes, or 20 days. Yeah. But here's the important part. As the counselor partner, if you have to be the one to stop, remember it is not stopping. It is just postponing. And it is on you to suggest when to try again. And you've got to be the one that comes back and says, this matters to me. Please continue talking. Because otherwise you are not building the trust and keeping the trust of the safety to say, I really care about this hard thing that you need to talk to me about. So if you have to stop, it's better to stop than to not, but you've got, it's totally on you to bring it back around and start this conversation. Yeah. You can't make your partner keep coming to you and saying, can we talk now? Can we talk now? Can we talk now? Right. Cause that's toxic. Yeah. Yeah. You're not building that trust. Yeah. Keeping it. Okay. Here's the especially hard part. So now you're, you're in your adult chair, you're in the top of your brain, you're ready. It's almost like you've got like two catcher's mitts, like, all right, hit me. I'm ready. (laughs) You can't defend yourself. This is the hard, so hard, especially if let's say that what Emma wants to talk to you about when you hear it, you're like, oh, well, she's just got it all wrong. That's not really what was going on for me. That wasn't what I was doing. And in your mind, you're thinking, well, if I just give her this little nugget of truth, all this will be solved. Great. Go me. Mm Mm-mm. You can't do that because it's going to sound like you're defending yourself. Right. So if she says, I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, and you go, and you're thinking, no, it was A, B, and C. And then what comes out of your mouth is, no, 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 it was A, B, and C. All she's going to hear is no, 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 as in you're wrong, wrong, wrong. Right. Like you're not going to And then he doesn't actually hear what I'm saying. Yes. Oh, that's how you feel. Exactly. In the moment, because again, you're in that downstairs part of the brain. You aren't in that logical place where he came up with this nugget of truth. So all you hear is like finger wagging. No, no, no. Right. That doesn't go well. Okay. So counselor partner, you've got to resist the urge to defend yourself. If you note that you really want to explain yourself, take a note and then ask for your own intentional conversation later. So you can share your point of view. Say, I'm going to need to be the client later. Cool. Cool. But it's not right now. You already agreed to your role. You don't get to be the client now. So in in this conversation, even when you've given the other person the time to list all of their grievances about whatever they're talking about, even at that point, you don't you don't get the space to say, when you said this, I just wanted a clarification on, you know, this is what what was actually happening on my end. You have to schedule mm-hmm. a separate time to do that. Well, maybe not schedule a separate time, but so far when we've just heard the grievances and you ha- you you want to defend yourself or you want to clarify a point from your point of view, no, it's not time yet because the other because your your client partner doesn't feel heard and understood yet. All they've done is report. Right. Now you do the work to help them feel cuz I think we may have talked about this before. 
but I talk about it all the time with my clients base, like all the, if you take all the like static and distraction of being human away, what we all want at the end of the day are four things. We want to be seen, heard, understood, and loved anyway. Yeah. That's what we want. And so if you, if the person has just reported and then you start going into clarification or defense, they don't feel seen, heard, understood, or loved anyway yet. Cause that's, that's the next part of your job is to help them do that is to help to make sure that they feel seen, heard, understood, and loved anyway. So here's how they do that. You ready? I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is a three part process. All three of them start with, 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 um, reflect. You're going to reflect three different things. You're going to reflect content, feeling, and meaning. So the first one is probably the easiest um, because you're basically, you're still kind of being, you're kind of in that same journalistic reporter mode where you are just making sure that the facts that they have shared, that you've heard the facts right. You're like the fact checker. You're not changing those facts or giving any editorial about them. You're just making sure that the content that they've shared you understand the content. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, some people who have been in marriage therapy before will have, will recognize this. And they're like, Oh God, I hated this reflective listening thing. And this, a lot of people stop at this point because the counselor partner will repeat it back like a parrot with snark tone, not like they're actually interested in understanding the content. Yeah. Right? So it isn't like you're supposed to mirror it back. Exactly. It's more like, you know, Emma, if you share this, Finn's going to use different words to understand that content. And that's fine. But he, he, Finn, you would want to say back to her what the content was, like your summary of it, how you understand the content. Because that's going to give Emma some good information about how her message is coming through, mm-hmm. where she can start to kind of uh, calibrate her reporting in a way that you might understand it better. So you reflect back in your own words, not a parrot so that you make sure that you understand that content. You check in with the client, yeah, with the client. So you'd be checking in with them and saying, did I get it right? Those words, did I get it right? Say so much to the downstairs brain. Did I get it right? In parentheses underneath means because I really care about knowing you, seeing you, hearing you, understanding. Mm-hmm. And I care so much because I'm going to love you anyway. So did I get it right? are simple little words that mean a lot when we're in this kind of intentional safe space. Any questions on the the content part? Nope. I don't think so. It makes sense. Like you're, you're having to repeat in your own words so that the other person understands that you're, you're kind of affirming that you're listening. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing is it's so the other thing that people say when they've gone, when they've done couples therapy and they're like, Oh, I hate that reflective listening thing. They'll say, it takes forever to get through anything. It's so slow. And I'm like, yup, that's the point. (laughs) (laughs) We want to slow this train down because if you, if, you know, Finn, if you realize that in this job, you are going to have to reflect this content back in your own words, your brain is going to stay focused on that task instead of those stories that and assumptions that you were making about why Emma was mad and then getting your defense ready. We like almost halfway leave our partner in that way because we're, we're getting ready for our rebuttal. Mm-hmm. And this way, your only job is to reflect the content and make sure you got it right. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. All right. Second reflect is feelings. 
So we've heard the content. Now we've got to reflect the feeling. I'm sending you guys those. um, It's a feelings cheat sheet um, that are really helpful because a lot of times we'll be like, oh, you sound mad. Oh, you sound sad. (laughs) Yes, those are feeling words. But there's so many subtleties of feelings in our language. And so this, the sheet that I'm sharing with you that you can share with your listeners breaks that down where under sad, there are all these iterations of sad that are more specific and will make your partner feel more heard. Mm -hmm. And hey, there's no shame in being like, hold on, let me get my cheat sheet out. Because again, you picking up this cheat sheet, the parenthetical phrase meaning underneath is, I care so much about this that I'm going to nerd out to get it right because I love you. Yeah. You don't need to have these things memorized. These are actually over my over my um, desk, these cheat sheets. And I'll pull them down when I'm trying to help reflect. Because, of course, I'm doing this in my sessions. When I'm reflecting feeling, I'm like, so would it sound like? I don't know them all either. So don't be scared to use the cheat sheets. Right. Awesome. Again, you check in with the client until they agree that you understand the feelings they're having about that content. Mm-hmm. One of the tricks I'll give you with feeling is our language has really intertwined and screwed up feelings and thoughts. So now that I've pointed this out, you're going to hear it all the time, but notice how many people say, well, I feel that. And then what they finish with is a thought. Can we get an example? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's say, um, uh, let's say that I'm mad. So I might say, I feel that you purposefully did that to hurt my feelings. Right. What I really feel is irritation. Yeah. I feel frustration. I feel betrayed. Yeah. But I say, I feel that you did that on purpose. That's not a feeling. That's a thought. Yeah. Story and assumption as well. Or I feel like having some warm soup. Okay. (laughs) Maybe it's because I feel sick and tired. I feel vulnerable and sad and I want some chicken noodle soup like mom gave me. But if I say, I feel like I need some soup, it's not a feeling. That's what you need to eat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You hear the difference? Yeah. I was just pulling up the feelings cheat sheets too, Mm because I think it's important to give a couple of examples. Like the ones you Mm -hmm. used to use were really good, frustrated, you know, disconnected, I'm annoyed, Mm -hmm. aggravated, lonely, Mm -hmm. frazzled. That's a good one. (laughs) Aren't those great? Yeah. Um, or it's like the thesaurus of feelings. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or, you know, calm, appreciative, thankful, rested, safe. Yeah. Just trying to give a couple of examples. There's a lot more than just being mad or what was the other one? Sad, 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 scared, happy. (laughs) And the way that I think that the sheets that I gave you, I think the way that there's, they're listed out is one list of feelings when our needs are getting met. Right. All of these, so these feeling sheets come from the work of um, Marshall Rosenberg and it's um, his work is called nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend this book for all of your communication. But he points out that when we're getting our, a lot of what's what's driving our behavior and our our and a lot of what drives our toxic communication is not feeling like our needs are being noticed or being met. And so the way this is separated is there's a sheet that's got feelings that you f- might feel when your feelings are getting met versus feelings you have when you don't feel like your needs are getting met. So chances are, if you're having an intentional conversation, you're going to be using the sheet that has the feelings when your needs aren't getting met. Yeah. <laughs> chances are. <laughs> So that's a way to, to do that. Another kind of a easy way to, to notice is that when, when you're focusing on the feeling, the answer to how I'm feeling 
really shouldn't be more than two words. Otherwise, it's gone into the thought Mm -hmm. category. Now, you might have two or three or four feeling words. That's different. But if it goes into a more like a sentence, you've gone into thoughts. Okay. Good to know. Again, slowing this down, looking at the content, but also making sure that you understand the feeling. So I was working with, with some people this week, and she used the word guilt. And it was about a conversation they'd been having for years in their marriage, but she'd never used that word. And it was this huge light bulb for him. He's like, oh, guilt? I always just saw you as being all this so defensive and like pissed off about this. You were feeling guilty and that softened him in a way because he understood what might be going on under that shield for her. So being specific about your feeling or as you're trying to understand, is it more like distract, disconnected, or is it more like betrayed? Being able to understand that specificity can really help us soften to each other and understand the experience of what's going on. Right. Well, and it's almost like, you know, we were talking about the counselor role and how the the step of talking about what the other, you know, relaying what the other person might be feeling, but the client has some role in this too, of talking, using those feeling words and using those Mm -hmm. descriptions rather than thoughts. Yes, absolutely. But also keep in mind, if the client is just kind of like, if they're being vulnerable and they're in the moment and they're kind of like, blah, 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 they may not be able to do that. Yeah. It'd be great if they could. But honestly, if if the client can get, can get to a point, the client partner can get to a point where they feel safe enough and to be sort of in their child chair to just be like, I don't really hurt my feelings when blah, blah, blah. that's, that's actually better. A lot of times the client person is staying very intellectual and it's easier to engage kind of this adolescent competitive energy there. So if the client gets pretty like blubbery and like, I'm just sad, then it actually, that's where the counselor client could say, all right, are we talking like when you say sad, is it more like disappointed? Are you disappointed in me? Are you discouraged with my behavior? Are you feeling like hopeless? Like this will never change. Yeah. That one, that one, (laughs) that's great. And then when they say, yeah, that one, or yes, That's the kind of thing as the counselor partner you're looking for is that acknowledgement like, yes, you see me. You saw me better than I even saw myself. Boom. There's there fireworks going off all around winning. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. And so that, so that was only step two, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so there's three types of reflection, content, feeling. Now we're going to do the one that's, Um, a little more complicated, it's meaning. So what we mean by meaning is that you, as the counselor partner, that you can say, okay, so Emma is reporting this content and it makes her feel this way. What does that mean for her? What does that mean in the context of her life, in the context of our relationship? Knowing her past, knowing her triggers, knowing what, where her soft spots are, How is this content with this feeling, how does that fit into what I know of my partner? And the cool thing is, even though this is, this one's a little more complicated, this is a place where as the counselor partner, I want you to feel, I want you to feel very empowered because you probably have a better repertoire of understanding 
your partner's meaning than anybody else on the planet. Their parents could do a decent job, but they don't know them sexually or relationally or, I mean, romantically. You know, our kids know us pretty well, but again, thank goodness, not sexually or romantically, right? Our friends know us pretty well, but still not in that same way. Our coworkers could know us pretty well, but think about that. As a partner, we have this amazingly unique position in our partner's lives to know just about how all the things in their lives come together, how things overlap or, or touch each other. So I want you to feel empowered in that role to say, I get this person. Nobody else could answer this question as well as me. Doesn't mean you have to get it just right. Doesn't mean it have to be, has to be perfect. But remember that part of you want to be seen, you want to be heard, you want to be understood. That's the meaning place. So you can kind of think of like, see the content, hear the feeling, understand the meaning. Okay. So, you know, when you, when you kiss that woman for what felt like so long, I felt, I felt less than, I, I felt like you liked her better than me. And again, I'm not using just feeling words here, right? Because I'm using, I'm being a client. So I might say something like, I was feeling really insecure or like maybe, you know, my partner had said, Catherine, it sounds like you're feeling insecure. Yes. I felt insecure because I don't remember the last time that you kissed me that way. Then the meaning that my husband might say back to me is, and I know that one of your triggers is to feel less than or feel like chosen over or left out. Mm-hmm. And so if you watched me kiss this woman with, in what felt like a really long way that you don't feel like I kiss you, that could make you feel like she had a better, a bigger spot in my life than you did. Mm-hmm. Even if the big, you know, the top part of your brain knows that isn't true in that moment, you felt chosen over or you felt insecure that you weren't my person. Yes, that's exactly it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And again, if you get it wrong, then it's like, well, I mean, a little bit of what you said, but it's also a little more of this kind of flavor. That's when we're getting into that really juicy, rich, fertile place of understanding. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those are your three content, feeling, meaning. Any questions about meaning? I don't think so. I can understand why it's a little bit tougher, but... I think it's super important. Well, and, and I think realizing that you may get it wrong. Yeah. And that's okay if as, as long as you're still asking, right? Like, you know, is that what it means to you? And if they say no, then I think you probably have to go back a step and figure it out mm-hmm. and work your way forward again. Mm-hmm. But here's the other thing. What I find is if you try to understand the meaning usually that helps your partner feel heard and cared about enough that they aren't even, they aren't usually they're not even that attached to you getting it right. It'll be like, no, it's more like, and again, they're able to calibrate to say, okay, the way that I explained that didn't quite come across. Let me explain it in a different way. One of the things that, that I work with clients a lot is, is, is our, such a like pervasive Western toxicity of perfectionism. And so I'll have clients that say, Oh, well, I don't even want to throw out an idea unless it's definitely right. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage them to think about like, as in my job sitting where I am, keep in mind, like I get, I hardly have any context about who's on the other side of that computer screen. These are strangers. I got to throw a lot of noodles against the wall before I get it right. And I say that to my clients in the first session, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess X, Y, and Z. And if X feels like it landed and it resonates, tell me. And if Y and Z don't, it feels random. Tell me that too, because then I'll be able to calibrate my understanding better. 
Right. It's not going to hurt my feelings if I got it wrong. If you say I got it wrong, I want to know you. And so I'm going to keep throwing noodles and you tell me which ones stick and which ones don't. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to be wrong. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So remember we had four things. You want to be seen, heard, understood, and loved anyway. So we got see the content, hear the feelings, understand the meaning. Then you could probably guess what the last step is. Love them anyway. Yes. Okay. yes love them anyway. <laughs> Yay, good. Good work. <laughs> I love the big question mark on the end of that. Yeah. Love them anyway. And here's the thing. For some people, it's like, well, duh, of course I loved you anyway. I just sat through all this shit. Be explicit. Like, yeah. I am. I love you so much. And I feel so honored that you shared that with me. I know that was hard for you. I love when you feel comfortable enough to cry with me. I love, I feel so honored that you were willing to share that with me. Yeah. The more specific you can say something about what you love about them, the better that really lands well, but make sure you bring it back around to kind of like closing the conversation with, and you're loved anyway. Then last thing is after that, most of the time, the client partner, their lid will be back on. They'll be back in the adult chair. That's actually a place where it can be. That's more where you do your problem solving. Okay. So next time, if I feel like you're kissing her too long, then I'm going to come up and just give you a little tap on the shoulder so you can suck my face or whatever it is, you know, like I'm just making up this example, but no, but no good problems are solved when when people's lids are flipped because we don't have the, the the most efficient part of our brain for problem solving engaged. Right. Usually once the downstairs part of the brain feels her seen and heard and understood and loved anyway, then the lid comes back on. Then you two, I mean, if you're partners, you're already probably pretty good at solving problems and coming up with solutions, but people rush to that solution too soon. <laughs> And then I will mention, you know, you all probably heard this in our, we probably got to this when we talked to Ray on the, on the podcast, but he's an engineer and it was really hard for him to understand this because he's like, uh, blah, blah, blah. Can't we fix this? And then finally he actually said it back to me. Sometimes he's like, I finally figured out that this tool intentional conversation, reflecting meaning, reflecting feelings, all of these tools are helping me fix it. Right. But I can't go and like, you know, I can't, I can't go to step five of problem solving before I've done steps one through four. And I'm like, there's an engineer thinking about this the right way. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, yeah, exactly. And these steps are really important before you're going to be able to solve problems together. Right. But then once you get into problem solving mode and you come up with some agreements, write them down, make sure you're on the same page. And then back to your question, like, do you have to wait till a different time or a different day to say, well, I'm actually, I want to really explain things from my point of view. This is when that would be okay. Yeah. Once you can sense that your partner feels seen, heard, understood, and loved anyway, when you feel, when they can report, yeah, wow, I can feel my lid back on, then they can be there to, for you. And oftentimes you can get to things um, maybe a little bit quicker because you're already both so softened to each other. Yeah. The defenses are already down. And so in that case, if we flipped it, Emma would probably be able to hear you so much more readily because she was feeling so hurt. You just helped right. to get her in her best place and then she would be able to hear you more easily. But in the same time, if you flip that role, the person that then now is the client can't do the shaming, blaming right. things. They have to do the same thing same because if they start off with the 
you know, getting defensive and doing the shaming and blaming things, then it doesn't go anywhere then anyway. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I will share, um, like I said, I'm going to share that, those lists, the feelings list, list with you. And then if there's anybody that's listening that would like to actually see this listed out, like we've been talking about, I did make it very like steps and I, like I say, I live with an engineer and I get it. I know what you're looking for. If you want to send me an email, I'll be happy to share that with you and, and we can communicate that way. But I'll, the, the feelings list were not mine. They weren't anything I made. So I definitely want to get them out in the world. This is something that, that I made. So I would like to connect with the people I'm sharing it with, if that's all right. Yeah, yeah of course. And we'll put your contact information in the show notes okay. too. Great. Well, thank you so much yeah. for sharing all of that with us. I think that's a We've given the listeners a lot to think about. You've given us a lot to think about and to try out. And I think it's hopefully really helpful because, like you said, it's we get into traps in relationships and uh, being able to step back and actually have those intentional conversations can really improve your relationship and Absolutely. make you feel more connected. And, and all your relationships, not yeah. just, just your partner and you. Yeah, that's true. We talked specifically about like, you know, a romantic partner. However, you could take this into your work, into your sibling, to your siblings or parents or children and have the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the other thing I'll just mention to you when you're, when you use the word traps, you're using the word traps. Sometimes I use the word cycle, whatever word fits for you that, that resonates with this thing you always get into. When you two can start to see that as something that like that the trap or the cycle is the enemy, not each other. So think about it like being forehead to forehead against each other in this trap or this cycle versus being able to come back and be shoulder to shoulder watching and being like, oh God, that cycle, look, it got us again, let's stop. Or, oh, see what we did there. When you can be shoulder to shoulder and you're looking at the same goal or the same enemy, quote, then you feel you feel that attachment build that 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 ability to lean in where you've got your person that loves you and has your back instead of mm-hmm. feeling like it's contentious forehead to forehead. Yeah, yeah. And and maybe one thing to to leave people with is the freedom to screw it up, right? Yes. And I would I would offer that. I mean, obviously we've we've admitted we're not perfect at it. <laughs> I would imagine you and Ray still fall into some of these traps as well, and you're oh yeah. It, and you're and you're a professional, right? So we're we're all going to make mistakes. A hundred percent, yes. And I mean, I get down in it just as easily when it's my own stuff. It's it's very difficult. And yes, so because as I'm a professional, and yes, I spend most of my days teaching this stuff. And even in the moment, it can be so hard to do it, or I get caught in our same cycles or traps. And yes, here's the other thing with the cycle or trap. Sometimes I we were like this at first when we started being more intentional with our conversations and our work. And I see this with my clients a lot where it's sort of like, once you realize you've stepped onto the cycle or stepped into the trap, it's like, oh, fuck it. Let's just blow it up now. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like, you yeah. just keep going. And it's like, Hey, you can stop at any point. Now it's harder. The more engaged you get in it, it's harder to be like, I I'm wrong because again, you get into that competitive, rah, rah, rah. Yeah. but it, at any point, you can stop and be like, oh, shit, we did it again. My bad. We'll stop. Yeah. Even just take That's a time better. out and like go yourself, like do something separate for like an hour to go, yes. you know, separate yourselves and like just think about it and distract yourself mm-hmm. doing something else even and then come back yes. and you're like, okay, we need to need to pause on that. 
try again. Um, in the ethical slot, they talk about, they use to give the example of um, it takes 20 minutes once the amygdala has been fired, like once we get into fight or flight or like adolescent, rah, that it takes the minimum of 20 minutes before the other, the top of our brain can come back down and, and be online. But it can't, it has to be 20 minutes without any re-triggering. So yeah. like one of the things that used to happen for us when we started the pausing is, you know, one of us would pause it and we'd be in different places in the house. And, and one time, one time we did this and Ray yells from the kitchen while he's washing dishes, I'm just doing the best I can. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> timer just restarted. <laughs> I'm like, that just flipped me again. Um, so yes, it is 20 minutes minimum without re-triggering, but for a lot of people, it's an hour or they need to go for a run or yeah. Take well, a bath that, or do it's something. It's hard to do too. Like I can think of an example where we've gotten in an argument or something while we're out shopping or doing something. And then you're like in the car together. And <laughs> like, if you're trying to fix it and so you're just mm-hmm. like, keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And it's like, okay, just put the radio on, put a podcast on, do something different. Put your head out the window and I'll roll it up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's that need to want to fix it in the moment when sometimes you just have to have that period of not, not re-triggering it to move past and then, then revisit. Yes. And again, keep in mind that part of the brain that takes over there, the amygdala is completely binary. It's always thinking yes, no, right, wrong, black, white. What's the coding thing? Yeah. One or zero. Yeah. 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 Whatever. And so it's like the only, the only time if you live in binary, the only time is right now. It can never be anything other than right now. And yeah. so that push to that, we've got to fix this right now is a damn good sign that you don't want to try to fix it right now. Right. Perfect. Yeah. And, okay. and maybe a great place to, to end it, to end it. Yeah. I know. I feel like we could keep talking. Keep talking. We could keep going and going, but uh, <laughs> no, we've given a- people a lot to think about. And I think this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you again. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you for your time and for all your wisdom. And we hope, we hope people take a lot away from it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for all the, all that you're putting out into the world. I think it's been great to have real life examples to normalize non-monogamy. And that now that you all are wanting to put some of this educational piece out to give people the tools to make their own story feel more successful. It's really exciting to be part of that. And thank you yeah. for the work you do for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're excited to do it. And yeah. We're, we're excited amazing. to have awesome partners to do it with. So, and Thanks. That, that was a double entendre, I suppose. <laughs> Unintentionally. <laughs> boom, boom. That's good. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Great. Okay. Thanks. Well, yeah. Have a wonderful afternoon and we'll talk soon. And we're back real quick. Thank you to Catherine for coming on the show and having that amazing conversation with us. Intentionally. Intentionally. Yes. Good one. Yeah. Next week, we have an awesome conversation with Dr. Evelyn Dacker, who is a family physician out in Portland and she does a lot of work with sex positive Portland and is a very active sex educator out there. It's a great conversation and we are super excited to have that next Friday. Yeah. We will see y'all then. Thanks for listening.